Hey, 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 Closet Busters, come on and gather around. It's time once again to kick down those closet doors of life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens, Bold Move Expert and Coming Out Coach, and I'm going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloseted. So come on, grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step in to living your truth as we explore more stories, tips, and tricks for living your life uncloseted. Now let's get to the show. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family, those of you who may be in closets, coming out of closets, wanting to live life on your terms, one of the places we struggle the most to be ourselves not just in life, but at work. We want to belong. We want people to like us. We want to be loved. And some people really want people to just stroke their egos, but that's a whole different show that we won't go into today. (laughs) But what I found so interesting in my work and having come from big corporate America is there really is a struggle. And then you take and you compound that struggle when you're LGBTQ And that adds other layers, or if you're a woman in work, or if you're another cultural, you come from Muslim or Hispanic or whatever, there's just these things that happen. And then there's always the belonging of, well, can you just like me because I'm doing a good job? And that fitting in kind of takes me back to fitting in when I was in high school. And what I've realized over the years is so many of us struggle, 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 struggle with this in our work environment. When all we really want is to be recognized for what we contribute, be valued, and all that good stuff. And a good friend of mine who has been on the podcast in the past has recently released a book that I love the title, Belonging at Work, because he really dives into this, not only from the diversity and inclusion perspective, but he takes it to that level of what should leaders be doing? What should we as people who are in the workspace and all this stuff? And I thought this was a really great topic to bring to all of you at the beginning of 2019, because maybe that is one of your, I hate saying goals because I don't really like those words, but intentions or inspirations for the year is how can I be better connected and collaborate and everything at work? And that is why I'm bringing my friend Rhodes Perry to Life Uncloseted as the second show of the new year, man. So I'm really excited about this. I'm really excited about your book and glad that you're here, man. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on the show again, Rick. It's, yes, it's really you're a repeat nice. offender, you know. So yes, I love it. I love it's it. It's really cool. Um, and, um, yeah. you know, we, we saw each other not too long ago back in 2018. I happened to be in Portland in October, and we had some time to spend together. And the book was just about ready to be released and all that stuff. And um, it's such an amazing way of stepping into let's look at workplace culture and all of this stuff. Because there's so much that does go on and it is such a huge part of our lives being in the work environment. So I'd like to start by, you know, what was that thing? And I know you well enough, but I'd like the listeners to hear. What was the thing that really like said, hey, I got this book in me and I got to get it out of me? What was that thing that kind of drove you to this, Rhodes? Uh, well, it's, I say in the book, it's like 39 years in the making, right? So it's mm-hmm. just the experiences I think first and foremost of of being someone who's a member of the LGBT community and definitely knowing those spaces where I didn't belong, you know, in, in different iterations of my life. Right. And, you know, I really wanted to blend those lived experiences with what I do every day in my work. And, uh, you know, I, I do you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion work with leaders and right. so many, so many leaders struggle with like, how do I do this? Where, where are we going? How do we know when we have success? And so, 
I was like, why don't I just put the basics in a book? And at least like that's a primer for people if they just want uh, to get started. And if they like what I have to say, hopefully that will lead to, you know, working with even more great clients, you know, and, and that was the, you know, that was, I guess, the luxury of, of having my own business. That was the point where I was like, I should, I should do this now. I don't know yeah. when I'm going to have this opportunity again. And, you know, the moment struck, I was inspired. I was able to carve out some time and, and here I am, you know, there's a book, mm-hmm. there's a book on my desk right now. It's real, <laughs> you know, and it, it's great. It is an interesting. <laughs> nice it is a, of it. Yeah, exactly. I know just a few, couple of weeks ago, I don't know. I was just like, okay, straightening up stuff in the house and my office, I guess it was, I was getting ready cause we were going on vacation and my family had, um, said they were going to come and stay here while we were gone. And I'm like, okay, well let's kind of straighten things up. And then of course we're thinking ahead to the holidays and all that stuff that are now past. But I came across a box of my books. I'm like, well, this is stupid that these are sitting out in the garage. I don't want them to get humidity and everything. And so I unpacked them and put them up in my office. And I remember having this really interesting little emotional break, like, wow, I did this. I wrote this and um, it's so interesting when you can see something that you know impacted your own experience Mm -hmm. you can then put into words and then when you start to see that it's impacting others and especially when you're doing something like you're doing where this diversity inclusion talks and it isn't just about sex it isn't about sexuality so to speak it isn't really about gender it's all the above but it's really about humanity and really helping people start to embrace this. So when you say that people have a hard time knowing what to do, what's a common thing that they struggle with in the diversity inclusion stuff in the workspace? Is it just lack of knowledge? Is it they don't know where to start? Where Where's the real struggle that most people you know, come to you with? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think the leaders that I work with are deathly afraid of doing the wrong thing Mm. And however they determine what that is. And so they're, they're, thereby they do nothing. Right. And mm. so, um, or, you know, they've heard, they've heard of other organizations, you know, moving along the pathway of trying to create more equitable systems, whether that's hiring, you know, more diverse talent or um, trying to engage, you know, products or services with underrepresented communities, right? Like they hear the progress that's happening and then something goes sideways. And the company is in the media and there's some bad attention to it. And, you know, and that, that further, you know, kind of roots them in their fear where it's like, okay, we're, we're definitely not going to do that. Or we're going to have to like evaluate all of the different pathways of doing this work well. And so it's like an analysis paralysis where they, again, mm-hmm. it's this kind of you know, a holding pattern. And, um, and I kind of wanted to break through that just to kind of say, you know, the, the book is intended for leaders and it's intended right. for change makers too. So if you're in an organization and you're in middle management or you're on the front lines, wherever you work and you feel like, well, I'm not the CEO, so I can't do anything. It's like, no, you have to get out of that mindset. I mean, you can change the culture, at least, you know, in your, in your small space of wherever you occupy in the organization, you two are part of this change. And in fact, I, I think that's where the real interesting change often happens in very large organizations. And so just wanted to give some guidance, you know, for, especially for folks who feel that they don't have the quote unquote power. They're not the capital L leader that, you know, uh-huh. they, they have the ability to, to do some magical things in the organization. Yeah. And I think this is where it becomes somewhat of a two way street, at least from my perspective is we kind of look to the leaders, the managers, the, you know, all the people, you know, in those quote roles, 
But even as LGBTQ individuals, I feel like we own a responsibility to go, okay, how can we enact change? How can we show up? How can we really truly be who we're meant to be? And now this isn't to say that I think everybody needs to be out at work. Everybody has their own reasons for how they do this. I come from the space of the more normalized I can present who I am as part of the LGBTQ community in my work, then the easier it's going to be for people to connect or to ask the kind of questions and make it comfortable. I remember at one point I had just come out and I was in transition to my new position. And it was a big step for me because I had gone from being like, high level exec to, okay, now I'm at a director level in a small company. Sure. I was third employee hired and all this stuff. And I thought, okay, we're just building this company. How can I have the most impact? Not only with my talent, but who I am. And in the final interview, I said, you know, one of the things I think I contribute most to this company is open heart, open mind. And I happen to be gay and I want to make sure that stepping into this role, I can help you create that environment. And I knew I was on eggshells because I lived in Orange County, California, very conservative. <laughs> I really didn't know the two people I was talking to. And it ended up being one of the greatest things I did was putting myself out there to say, I'm going to show up authentically here. I hope you're willing to open up and embrace that. And again, not saying this is how everybody has to do it, but this is where I think there's some dual responsibility in these sort of things. How did, how do Absolutely. you see that happening, man? I mean, do you see that often that people hold back and I get it that some of us, we can't be out at work because of where we live and the States we're in and all that sort of stuff. But do you see this a lot where people don't even feel like they can authentically show up? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the book, I, I write about um, a concept that Kenji Yoshino, uh, NYU scholar, writes about, which is this concept of covering. And the idea is that, you know, three-fourths of the workers in the United States, at least, cover some aspect that is important to who they are. Um, so, you know, I mean, you use the example of, of being a part of the LGBT community. So, you know, that, that might be something more obvious of, you know, I'm not going to talk about my partner who is of the same sex, or I'm not going to talk about my gender identity. But the, the really interesting thing that I think that comes from this research is that the most enfranchised people in the workplace, so, you know, in the United States, white people, men, cisgender, straight, mm -hmm. are also covering, you know, yeah. um, and what is lost with that? Um, the another kind of stat that pops out to me that's that's featured in the book is like 72% of workers in the United States feel like they don't have purpose, they don't have meaning. And so I think those two are pretty interconnected. You know, if you feel like you can't be yourself at work, you can't show up authentically, you have to kind of park the important things at home and kind of slog through your day. Sure, right. you're going to go up for a paycheck, but you're not going to go above and beyond. You're not going to be innovative. You're not going to be committed to, you know, that company doing the next great thing. It's just like, I'm here and people don't really get me. And then I'm going to go home and I'm going to dream about all of the other things that I could be doing with my time. And so, you know, I do, I agree with you too, you know, that mm -hmm. like, if you have the ability, you know, and you aren't you know, for whatever reasons, you know, if you feel like you have to cover some aspect of who you are, so just using kind of the LGBT example, like, 
for me, you know, in, in workplaces, if I can show up and, you know, be, you know, contribute my genius to the job and, you know, right. be, be um, acknowledged for those contributions. And I can share a little bit of my lived experiences of like, yeah, you know, growing up as a trans guy who's bisexual, blah, 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 mm-hmm. you know, that is going to like, you know, if, if I'm accepted and people are willing to hear my experiences, that will definitely change a lot of people's hearts and minds. And I think I agree, you know, like if we all could do that, how different would, you know, <laughs> the conversations in this country right. be right now, right? Exactly. exactly. People don't feel safe, you know, they, they don't feel safe. And if you don't have that safety at work, you definitely aren't going to have trust and you definitely aren't going to feel that you belong. And it's going to create a lot of static and a lot of friction and a lot of toxic workplaces. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm glad that you brought up the piece that people don't feel safe. Cause I know Simon Sinek, um, start with why he talks about this a lot in his work about how unsafe people feel in the workplace. But you brought up a, that statistic of 72% or 70% people don't feel like they have purpose. Yeah. And as you were talking through that, and then you brought up the not feeling safe it's so interesting to me that those two kind of intersect. It's like, okay, if 72% don't feel on purpose in their work. And if you actually took that percentage and said, okay, in an eight hour workday, if 72% of their time was feeling like they're not on purpose, that means about 30 some percent of the time they're actually doing something. They feel like, okay, I'm engaged with. So now we're losing productivity but then if they're losing productivity and they're not performing, then they're going to start feeling unsafe and it all becomes one big cyclical thing. It's like, if I don't feel on purpose now, granted, I feel like a lot of us, we kind of need to own the purpose thing too, but I don't know in the world of business and especially even in the world of higher education that there's enough emphasis put on what is your purpose? What is your reason for being how do you want to have impact in the world other than show up, get a paycheck, produce the widgets, make the sales, you know, grow the business, which are all good things. I mean, that's how the world goes around. But I find it interesting that this whole 72% of not feeling on purpose is like, that's huge. That means yeah. there's a lot of really miserable people out there doing the thing just to get a paycheck. Yeah, yeah. And I think like the thing too is like getting curious around like the 30, you know, about 30% of people who right. do feel like they have purpose and meaning. And, you know, I, it's, we, we need more research around understanding that. And, right. you know, we do understand, and I know that you have uh, two daughters who are kind of in, of this generation of millennials yep. Yep. And younger where there is very little tolerance of, you know, I'm applying for a job, you know, and I have the skills for the job but I'm not going to work at that job if I feel like I can't be myself or I'm not going to be appreciated for showing up and, you know, expressing, you know, in a professional way, expressing, you know, who I am in the world um, and kind of being judged by my appearance rather than like what I can do for for a company or what I believe or, you know, Mm -hmm. um, take that to to wherever you want to take it. But I I think millennials are are really shifting, um, kind of workplace norms and in this idea of purpose. And I also think we're seeing that with some of the startup culture with companies where sure they are a for-profit business, but they have a mission, they have a purpose, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's, that's, it's just, it's a game changer. You know, it's not just Mm -hmm. like you're making ice cream, you're making ice cream that's going to, you know, feed the world and Mm -hmm. give back in socially responsible ways. And, and I, you know, I, we, we need more of that because I think those are the businesses and 
the the workers, the employers that um, do see how purpose, like when you are on purpose, how that is is so good, not just for the workplace, but for the for the world, you know, and and, and for your own self care, you know, and your your own self worth. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a I lot find, of power to it. There is a lot of power to it, and, I, and the thing I find most interesting is as I've started to play around in this because I'm doing some work around men and masculinity and how they show up and some toxic masculinity stuff. And I'm stepping back into my roots. It's like, okay, I know I want to work with guys. It's always been guys coming out of the closet, but now it's like, okay, there's guys coming out of other closets from they don't want to be in those corporate roles or they want to be in better relationships, whatever it is. And instead of looking at it, and I had a couple of conversations with guys that own their own business just recently, and they said, well, you know, I just feel like our mission's off. And I said, well, what if you started with what's your purpose before you do your mission? And then you look at your purpose and your intentions and then grow your mission out of that. And I saw, you know, you know, (laughs) kind of hypothetically light bulbs go off over their head (laughs) because they had never looked at it from that perspective. And I said to both of them, I said, if you started from the space of what is your own personal purpose? And then you took it to, but from that purpose, you knew then what your intentions were going to be. And I said, let's just take it for the next year. And I happened to be talking about 2019 with both these clients. I said, if you had your purpose and you knew how that purpose contributed to your intention, then how would that then guide your mission for 2019 for you individually? And then if you did that same exact exercise for your company with your team and had everybody do that individually and then bring that together, how much easier would it be to come to a mission that you truly felt was a true purpose-driven mission for your organization? And both of them were like, yes, that's what I want to do. That's how I want to yes. show up. And it's powerful that. when people get that because I think we went through, and we still do to some degree, <laughs> when I was first starting to do, okay, you know, I'm going to come up with a mission for my business. It was like mission was the big word, you know, but that's, we had to evolve. And now there's purpose. Now there's mindfulness. Now there's intention. There's all these things. And I just believe that if people would take the moment and go, okay, let's start from a different space. We can get to the mission and the mission will be so much stronger yes. in so many different ways. Yes. And then- right. When your mission is strong, then you're going to attract the employees who they go, yes, that's what I align with. I have so many clients, well, not so many, but I have like three clients right now who are in transitions in their careers and they're like, I want to work with a company who I just go, I can sync with and I can see their, you know, where they want to go, what their purpose is and, and it, whether it's, you know, they have some social justice stuff or they're doing what's right for their employees. And these are guys that are in their late forties, early fifties who are like, I am done doing this crap I've been doing all these years. I want something more. And um, I'm, as, I'm assuming from the way you're approaching this in the book that a lot of those same core roots are in there. People are wanting something more than just let's show up. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think like an extension of that purpose is also getting very clear, you know, especially for those business founders, the business owners of what what culture they want to work in, you know, and really defining that as well, just as much as the purpose, right? Because so many, I mean, this is where workplaces get into a lot of trouble is that there is an implicit culture that's unstated, right? And so it's like some of the most basics, right? Is like, I I talk about my experience working for a number of different employers in the book. And like one of the examples that I use is like, you know, the the workday starts at nine o'clock, but for this one employer that I was at, it's like, if you're not at your desk at eight o'clock, 
even though that's not stated, it's mm-hmm. like you, you are judged. You are judged and like that unfairly positions you when you're considering, you know, when you're being considered to ascend in the company, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that's that's like a, a you know, really kind of basic. But it's, basic yeah, but it's it says a lot. It's like, it's like... <laughs> I'm going to go the, to a really weird space with this. It's like a couple saying, okay, we're going to have an open relationship, but we're really not going to talk about how you do this. You know, it's like, if you don't say what the real rules are and there's some implied thing that happens, then there's going to be contention from the get go. So if nine o'clock is start time, but then, oh my God, your butt better be in that seat at eight o'clock and it better not walk out of that place until six o'clock, even though it's nine to five or whatever there's something that needs to be discussed because then you begin to have employees think, what else do I not know that I'm expected to do? And then the fear shows up and then the trustee roads and then there is no good relationship. So I'm curious as you are starting to see the book go out and be in these spaces, what are some of the things people are having the biggest aha moments around? It doesn't necessarily have to be around the book, but as I feel like, Corporate culture, company culture right now is something that is hugely in flux, especially given the politics of our, at least the United States right now. What are some of the things that you're seeing most people going, this is where we really need, you know, this is where we're struggling. This is where we need help. This is where we need like insights. Yeah, I think, I think the biggest aha moments are just uh, kind of like, when you think about a strategic plan or strategic goals for a business, Mm -hmm. you know what success looks like at the end. Right. And I think with diversity, equity, and inclusion work, so much of at least like the early phases, especially if the company's just getting started is like, well, we'll just do a training or we'll just Mm -hmm. change this one document and then it's done. So it's very kind of like a a very tactical um, kind of the quick wins that can happen and then it's done. But people do not get clear on we are doing this with the intention that in the end, our employees have a sense of belonging. That when our, when our company culture is a healthy culture, this is what it looks like. This is what it tastes like. This is what it feels, you know, like you have, you can be there in it. You know, it's just kind of the basic principles of goal setting or intention setting because mm-hmm. we're talking about not liking that word, but, um, you know, it, that you, in order for that to be present in your life, you have to imagine what it looks like now. And so in the book, I talk a lot about that more towards the end of how do we do this? And we have to be just as intentional and just as clear with what success looks like with this work. And if we can't define it, then we will continue spinning our wheels. And I, and when I share this with people and with leaders, especially, they're like, of course, right. We do this with everything else. Like, why are we not doing this with this work? Um, that's, that's beyond kind of, you know, the, these very kind of tactical changes that happen over the next three to five years. It's like, you know, long-term we are making investments and this is where we're going and this is why. Um, and so that's, that's really refreshing because that was, that was my intention with the book. Um, but a lot of the, the first part of the book is really level setting. What the heck are we talking about in order to talk about, you know, how to do it. Uh, right. And so that, yeah, that, that makes me feel like I, I've given value, you know, that people mm-hmm. have, have something different, they have a roadmap and that it's not, it's not trying to boil the ocean, but it's really trying to focus people when they mm-hmm. make these kind of investments. Right. You know, it's interesting, you know, I've had this conversation before, but, you know, given the work you're doing and what the book is about, this quick win syndrome thing <laughs> is mm-hmm. so interesting to me because I've been approached a few times to like, oh, so you're a diversity inclusion speaker. I'm like, well, 
kind of, but I'm not going to teach you the laws. I'm not going to tell you what you have to do. I'm going to come from that human space of, okay, what is it that your employee feels that they don't feel like they can actually be who they are? Whether it's, I don't feel comfortable putting family photos up. I don't feel like I can say anything well other than my partner. Um, you know, which these are all decisions we all make. But I said, I'm going to come from the human side of, we're going to talk about why people don't show up the way they want to at work. Now, this isn't what I normally would do, but I, ha I do get asked every once in a while, oh, so you wrote this book, you know, yes, I will talk about that stuff. But the thing that comes up most is, well, we just need to get this done because then everything will be right. And it's like, no, <laughs> it's not a one and done. This is like a yeah. one and get started and continue to work on this. And it doesn't, in my mind, it isn't just, about diversity and inclusion it is mm -hmm. what are you going to do in this culture in general for everybody because yeah. if one group doesn't feel included there's a high yeah. probability that there's a lot of other people that don't feel included either because that's the tone of the organization and i think too many times people miss that piece a it is not quick fix one and done and it isn't necessarily just about one group because as soon as you start to work about LGBTQ stuff, then you're probably going to have somebody who's like, well, I'm a Christian and da, da, da. okay, now you got to kind of like, okay, how are we going to help? You know, so it's about finding, okay, where are all these things going to kind of intersect where we create this organization that says we respect and care about everyone and we want people to all show up authentically with respect and be in this together, even though we may have disparate you know, values and beliefs and positions in life, we stand for this. And I think too many times companies miss that piece of one time, one workshop, one training is not going to do it. It's an ongoing investment and intention. Of this is what's going to make us desirable to the employees who want to come work in our environment. And yeah. they often miss it, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> I think the hardest thing is that, you know, there's, there are folks that are in charge with setting the tone and kind of like addressing cultural issues in a workplace. And it's, it's sometimes leaders, they don't know what they don't know. And mm -hmm. it can be a challenge, you know, as you said, you know, there, there could be a group of people that come forward to leadership to say, Hey, we don't feel like we belong. And you're right. If, if one person or one group of people feels empowered enough just to say that chances are there are many, many other people that feel similarly. And, it's it's difficult to manage up. It's difficult to get leaders to um, really listen and um, and not immediately get defensive or respond, but just kind of mm -hmm. take it in yeah. and then seek out people who've done this before, who know what they're doing and right. are not going to sell you snake oil to be like, sure, we'll do one training and everything's going to be better. It's like, gosh, it's like, mm -hmm. come on, you wouldn't do that if you wanted to change your computer systems or something. You right, know? right. Like, you would go do an intentional, you know, really do due diligence on, okay, what do we need the computer system to do? How do we need it to function? Whose hands are going to be on it? Which employees are going to be touching it? What kind of, it's so much different. And I love that analogy, um, Rhodes, because that's really what it's like. You wouldn't do this with a computer system. You wouldn't do this if you're going to move into a new office building. You know, it's like, what are we doing? I think another piece, and I, you said something that sparked this earlier in the conversation, but if you don't even ask the employees what the problems are, you just assume, okay, we, we've heard this in the news. We need to do this. Let's go do this now. 
And if you don't take the time to kind of walk around and go, so can you, can we have a conversation about what you feel like is making you feel like you most don't fit here? And there's mm-hmm. not going to, we're not going to, there's no, there's not going to be any backlash. We're trying to create a culture where we make everyone feel included. So you quit struggling because one of the things I know for sure, and I had this happen a couple of times. And even as I came out of the closet, it was definitely a lot of my own doing, not feeling good at work, even though I was in a very inclusive company, what was missing is the questions, Rick, we know you're struggling. What do you need? What do you need right now? We can't necessarily give you everything, but we know there's a struggle. You're going through a divorce. You're coming out. And everybody knew. Everybody knew what was going on. But there really wasn't anybody that was saying, do we need to give you a sabbatical? Do we need to reduce your hours and change your position? Do we need to give you a more flexible schedule now that you're a single dad and there's going to be days that you have to come in at different times? It was kind of like, yeah, work it out, but there wasn't any like, what's going to make this better? And I know people listening to this may go, well, yeah, if you did that with everybody in the company, it's more, let's get some ideas before we go running off half cocked and go, okay, let's bring somebody in to fix this. You may be fixing the wrong problem. Yes, yes. And so much of that knowledge lives within, within the, the employees, you know, right. I mean, and, and giving, being open as leaders, being open to that feedback and creating mechanisms where you can get the feedback, whether you're prepared for it or not is really, really important. And that's, you know, so, and the work that I do really for some organizations, trying to get those employee focus groups up <laughs> can mm. be a real struggle because, you know, sometimes leaders think that they know what the challenges are, what the problems are. Uh, and I think that those assumptions, or I mean, I would say arrogance at times mm-hmm. can get you in a lot of trouble. Yep. And, um, and I talk in the book about, you know, inclusive leadership traits and one of the, there's six different traits and I didn't come up with that model. Um, but the, one of the traits is, is to be curious and, and mm-hmm. to be a leader, you know, in, in ways of being curious, you have to listen. Yeah ask questions. Um, and if you don't know what those questions are on this topic, there's tons of people that can give you insights on that mm-hmm. but to, just to be open to what those responses are, because you'll be surprised nine times out of 10 and you'll learn a lot. And, um, and that will inform the approach. Mm-hmm. But if you're not open to listening and if it's like the old model of leadership of it's almost like, you know, I was raised Catholic, you know, the infallible mm-hmm. Pope, you know, you're the infallible right. leader, you know, everything. It's like, Oh, that's where you get in a lot of trouble. And that's where, you know, toxic workplaces can get, you know, even worse. Yeah. And I, I believe that toxicity is, it's such an interesting one because we assume we know what the toxicity is until we dive in and get curious. And then suddenly it's like, Oh, we didn't even see this this was not something we even anticipated and a quick story around that before we wrap this up. Cause I want to give you some time to talk about the book and where you want to go with it and anything you have to offer here. But I remember when I helped implement a, a customer relationship management system at my last, the last job that I worked at and all of us were pretty on board except one employee and he had never used anything like this. He was old school sales guy. And he struggled even to use the computer. And the rest of us were kind of like next generation. We've been in tech. We knew all this stuff. But nobody ever really asked him what the problem was until we were sitting in a meeting. And I was the guy running. I was the guy going to run the implementation. And he and I didn't 
we didn't really click. And I thought, okay, I'm going to like, let's set this aside and let me hear what he's saying. And I asked him point blank, I said, you seem to be really struggling with the implementation of this new system. What is it that bothers you most about this? And he said, I didn't come here to try to fill in data on a computer. I came here to sell and give people a solution. I remember the president of our company just like almost his mouth dropped open, literally like I didn't even think about that. And I said in that moment, I said, well, if we could help you sell by using this system and give you the ability to sell better, would you be more in tune with using it? And he said, absolutely, but I'm here to sell. I'm not here to play on a computer all day long. From that moment forward, I knew as the guy implementing that we had to find a way to make this not super cumbersome and to provide ways where that guy was going to excel by using it. The rest of us knew how we were going to excel by using it, but we had to find it. But had we not, had I not asked that question, we never would have got there. And he still kind of fought it. But once we kind of taught him some things and said, okay, here's some shortcuts. This is really all we need to know. And I had to go back to my vice president and say, you know what? You can't ask for all this crap you're asking for, for them just to put a fucking lead in. It's ridiculous. Get the basic (laughs) stuff in, you know, because as soon as the process becomes too burdensome, the next thing that's going to happen is you're going to start beating the salespeople up over the head because you're not making your goals. You're not bringing in the revenue. Well, they can't do that when all they're doing is spending their time making sure all this detail is in about a lead. We got to simplify this. And I think that's a pretty good example of, finding a way to go, what's going on? What do you need most? And how do we get your needs met by asking the right questions in an organization and helping you feel like yes. you belong as part of the solution, not part of the problem. So um, yes. I'm really excited for you, man, on this book here. And um, I know you are going to use it in all the great ways to really get out there and have impact. But I'm just curious, Rhodes, what is the one thing you would love most to really see the book do either for yourself or in general? What is the thing you'd love to see that book really do for the world? I know that's a big question. (laughs) Yeah, that's a huge question. I I think it's, I think it's a movement. I I hope that the people find value in the message. I hope that there's um, that they can reflect on their own experiences in the workplace and use it as a launching pad to, to make changes big and small in their own workplaces. You know, I, I mean, that's, that's my hope. I, and, um, you know, it was, it was part cathartic for me to kind of put my, my own story in the preface. Um, there's a little mm-hmm. bit of personal stories throughout the book, but most of it is, is kind of, it's a roadmap for other people to do their own work. Right. Uh, and I hope that they do, you know, I hope that they really go through, um, the content, but also some of the exercises in it and, find value to, to help um, themselves and in their workplaces. Awesome. So is there anything you'd love to leave listeners with? Is there somewhere they can go to see the book? I know you can get it on Amazon, but is there any special stuff you'd like to throw at them? Any other ideas you'd like to share with them before we wrap it up here? Yeah, definitely. If you go to my website, roadsperry.com backslash book, you can find both the, where you can get it on Amazon, but um, there's also an opportunity to, to get a signed copy there. And when you do, uh, if, if you let me know, um, and you're interested in getting some coaching around how to actually do this, um, I'm offering a um, 30-day belonging challenge in February. 
And for anyone who gets mm, the signed cool. copy of the book, you get you get into the program at fifty percent off. So that is a that is definitely a gift I will extend to your audience, and um, and that is happening nice. in February of twenty nineteen. So hope you you all can join because um, I think it's going to be a lot, lot of fun. And I, I've seen um, Rhodes do some of these things before, and I can tell you he operates from the heart. He operates out of service. And he really, truly does operate from a place of impact in the world. So um, really can just can't tell you how much I'm so happy that this is happening for you and that the world will be impacted. Whoever does choose to be impacted by belonging at work. So thanks again, my friend, for being part of my life and part of our audience's life. It's always great to have a conversation with you. And um I think we're going to wrap it up right there. That was a good place to say we're done. We have taught some people what it takes to belong at work. So thanks for being here, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right. There you have it. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end, but that's okay. We're going to be back in just a couple of days sharing more stories, tips, tricks, and wisdom for helping you live your life uncloseted. And you know what? You can share it too. Just take a few moments if you like and if you believe in this podcast and share it with someone you know today. Share it from your phone, go share it on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you are. Maybe even give us a rating review because you know what? It's all about the planet living their life uncloseted. I'm Rick Clemens, host of the show and the guy who helps you make those big, bold moves. And I hope you never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted. Catch you real soon. Take care, everyone.